that was LCD Sound System with Someone Great Is Gone, I believe. No, it's a Someone Great. Just Someone Great, not the whole thing. Someone uh, Great Is Gone. Someone, well, that's the, that's the chorus, but the actual song is called Someone Great. Um, I guess, or unless you're making the point that Someone Great Is Gone in general, in which case, yeah, it's probably true. The song is gone. Oh, the song also is gone. That is also true. Um, all right, so Darren, you had the idea for this podcast, so you shut up. Very good. So uh, yesterday, as you will know, Stefan, because you were there, we spent the day at the Canadian International Auto Show 2014. Um, the, it was a interesting day, uh, a long, long, long day. Um, we were up at five, which is an ungodly an hour uh, for me anyway. Um, but so what I wanted to sort of introduce is the topic, and we'll kind of talk about our experience a little bit, recap a little bit of our feelings while they're still fresh from the auto show, um, because we won't be addressing it on, on the re, on the green majority for a couple of weeks still, um, is just while it's fresh in our minds to kind of talk about how we felt about just sort of general impressions about being there. That was my fourth auto show. It was your first, however. Mm-hmm. Um, and But as a general theme, before we bring sort of Dave into the conversation, would be... Uh, just sort of the relationship between consumers and producers. So people, you know, will sort of say, I want this product or I want that product or I wish this, you know, this hat came in that size. But it's been my impression, my opinion, we'll see if everybody else agrees with me or not, that, that there seems to be for most consumers a divorce between sort of what their desires are and what they're sort of willing to pay for and that they don't sort of connect those dots in the sense of that, like, you know, while we may sort of like certain companies for being more ethical in our opinion than other uh, companies, that at the bottom line, a company can't exist without being profitable and thereby cannot sort of sell things that people aren't willing to pay for. And so it, it was, it's been, it's sort of my proposal that, um, that there is a disconnect between consumer desire and consumers, consumers willingness to pay for things. Uh, and that sometimes some ire, so, you know, for instance, uh, with, Maybe Apple, as an example, we'll leave cars out of it for now, um, where people are like, well, you know, I, you'll read a story about the horrible conditions under which the factories, you know, under which iPhones are made or the environmental damage of iPhones, but yet everybody has an iPhone. Um, and that, you know, they're, well, you know, if you really want them to change, stop buying iPhones. Um, and so in this case, we'll sort of, in the context of the cars, we just sort of want to use that as a theme of, you know, we were talking to somebody that most people don't have access to, which is the CEOs, the chief executive officers, and the COOs, the chief operating officers, uh, head engineers, and and those sorts of folks uh, from these major car companies, which are not normally people that you would ever get to speak to, uh, but we had an opportunity to do so. And uh, as it was your first time, Steph, and mm-hmm. I sort of, I think we should start with you. Um, as your impression, I, I, I assume that that is not an experience which you've regularly had. Um, what, how did you, how did you feel? How did you feel about speaking to these folks and, uh, and did it change your mind at all or did it, did it create any new thoughts on your part about maybe how we think about our relationship between consumers and producers, especially and particularly with a point to the fact that as very anti-oil folks, mm-hmm. um, cars are kind of like a very integral part of that. Um, and I would like to ask you for your thoughts on that basis. Uh, okay. Um, wide topic there. Um, the first thing I think which I found interesting is that no one, either no one wants to say they have power or no one feels like they actually have power to change things. I think that's, I think that's, I think that's the first thing I, I would say is that none of these CEOs seem to think we could change this. Mm. None of the CEOs sort of, it, it never, didn't feel like any CEO sort of felt like we're in control. No, the CEOs themselves. This, yeah, yeah, exactly. Like I mean, like like it didn't. It, it seems like the CEOs and the you know all the head brass basically were, like they see themselves as being driven by consumers, and then consumers sort of see themselves being driven by marketing and 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 what the CEOs are doing. So it it sort of seems like no one really sees themselves as actually in control of this overwhelming consumption-based economy, which is kind of funny. It's sort of like everyone's ceded control to someone else, and no one's sort of taking ownership of, like, no, we're a part of this structure that cannot sustain itself. So consumers are kind of, what do you want me to do? I can only buy what's available. And and this and, and this was sort of maybe a, a, the f- a first-hand example of, of you experiencing sort of the actual producer Telling you, well, what do you want me to do? I can only respond to consumer demand. Exactly. Yeah, very much so. And 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 it's and it was 
you know, these are just, they all seemed regular enough people, all sort of happy to respond and talk to you in a very frank, mostly frank way, basically. Other than other than other the before. expense of their suits, <laughs> yeah. uh, they were regular folks. Yeah, exactly. With nicer suits on. Yes, exactly. Nicer suits and, you know, they can go back to their fourth yacht or something like that. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, it was, it was interesting. It was, it was... I, it's not surprising, really, because you sort of... I remember in, in even in... Um, I referenced several times, but even in Fort McMoney, when they were asking the oil producers, who, or the, the uh, just, oil lobbyists... Just, just to make sure people know what you're talking right. about, just to remind people. Uh, Fort McMoney is a, is, is, the, is a documentary that uh, it was about the oil sands in Fort McMurray, basically. And in that, they talked to a oil lobbyist. And they asked the oil... And they, one question they asked literally everyone, which I thought was really interesting, was they asked every single person in the entire... Every interview, the entire, entire thing, uh, who own, who runs... Alberta. Or who runs Canada? No, who runs uh, the town? It's, it's just a town. town. Just who runs the town. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's who runs Farming Murray. And the most interesting answer came, in my mind, from the, uh, from the, from the oil lobbyist who said the people of Canada, the, the consumers of oil ran, uh, ran the, you know, ran Farming Money or Farming Murray. And I think that was interesting. It's, it's, it's not, again, not surprising, but it's, it's interesting. What if, that's, I think that's, if there's one very interesting thing I found, it was that no one seems to feel like they're in control. Or responsible. Or responsible. Yeah, well, well, that's, I think that's the, that's the underlying thing here is that by claiming you're not in control, you allow yourself to also not be therefore responsible. Uh, no one would, no one wanted to go out and say they're not responsible because that implies they're in control and could be responsible. So this is, so they sort of went one step back before that so they could avoid that entirely. Um, so, I mean, you could, I, I don't want to sort of frame it as if that's the way we're painting these people, but mm-hmm. to sort of put that, to sort of think through the consequences of that sort of situation fully, I will propose that you could make a comparison to that and say, uh, you know, people, uh, generals in, you know, uh, people, generals in General Pinochet, or, sorry, the commanders in General Pinochet's army or anything like that, you know, mass genocide, Rwanda, anything like that. Well, I was just doing what I'm told. Mm-hmm. Uh, what choice did I have? Yeah. Um, and that seemed to be, again, while I'm not making a comparison to, to these executives and, you know, mer- genocidal maniacs, <laughs> um, it seems to be a similar psychological position. What do you want me to do? I'm only one part of the system. Yeah, yeah. The, I think the idea of doing your job is mm-hmm. is is huge here. Uh, you know, people people are given a job they think they need they're, they're in, to do, and they do it, and that's it. That's as far as they go. And what's interesting is some of the some of the more progressive companies were often led by people who seemed to be more interested in sort of the fun and side projects of things that they're doing than than the consumer part. It seemed like the more people were tapped into this idea of serving the market and we're here for other people, we're here for the consumers, the less visionary, the less interesting, the less, you know, good they were doing. I know, like, in one of your, in your brief talk with uh, the guy from Toyota, actually, that was probably our longest talk, but the mm-hmm. Toyota guy actively said that he thought they should be, they should be leading, you know, leading uh, people to buy different things. Mm-hmm. And they should be, they, they actually, it was car manufacturers should be creating Change well, and and to be specific, what he what he quite literally said was, I, I said as an auto manufacturer, and he said we're, we don't. Th- I don't even think he said we don't think of ourselves. He said we're not car manufacturers; we're a mobility company. Right. And I thought, and and nobody else went even alluded to any of that. Oh, yeah. They were the only. He was the only person in the only company, and I really do believe that they do think of themselves that way because mm-hmm. they in other countries um, they do produce a wide, much wider variety of products where local laws kind of allow. Um, yeah, I think I think that was really telling that mm. that they were literally the only company who was like, no, 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 we're, we don't consider ourselves that. Mm. I don't want you to call me a car company. We're a mobility company. Yeah, and that was a really interesting distinction to me. Oh yeah, yeah, and I think and that's the exact distinction that I thought should be made. I think that's that's excellent. I think that's exactly you want you. The more people think of themselves as as a car company, the more likely they're going to fight back against anything that you know puts cars under threat. Like as soon as you lock yourself into that that, that sort of train of thought, and you just sort of don't let yourself really innovate. Hmm. And innovation is all we can really hope for now, given that the system we sort of are sitting in. Well, I'd like to make an interesting comparison. I I, I want to keep picking your thoughts again, just because it was my my fourth auto show. So I'm come I'm kind of more interested in in knowing your thoughts than regurgitating hmm. my own. Um, but I want to make a comparison there to, you know, we've, we've talked about on, on this show before, uh, about, you know, what would happen if oil companies considered themselves energy companies Mm. instead of oil companies. Well, well now that you've completely changed the system, right now it's instead of, you know, and, and we've, we've talked about not only, you know, could this, what would happen if they went, yeah, you know what oils, you know, it's, yeah, we're making tons of money now, but 
this is inevitably it's going to stop and we're going to keep making money, but we should be planning for our, our own future and be ra- rapidly taking all of those profits and reinvesting them into the next thing. Because you're aware of that. And if they thought of themselves as energy companies, they would be doing that. But they don't. Mm. They themselves think of themselves as oil companies. Mm. Or at least I would think. We've ne- mm. We certainly haven't had the same access to oil executives <laughs> as we have to car executives. Mm. But just, I think it's an interesting thing, way, thing to think about. Yeah, for sure. And, I th- and uh, It's interesting also you know, comparing that to say what the Hyundai guy said, which was... He, he didn't go as far to say he was a transportation company, but he did not, he, his, the way he worded his response to my question of whether or not they should transfer off gasoline was that he did not believe the correct or the perfect or the right way to be transporting personal vehicles was found yet. Mm-hmm. And, he, and he, so his thing was like, we haven't figured it out yet. I hope Hyundai will be the first. That was also interesting. It was, it was, it was very well worded on his part. I'm sure he's like practiced this many times. Mm. But what he exact, what the exact thing, what he said was, we hope that Hyundai will be the first company to bring the the right thing to market first. Yeah, once we figure once out we what figured that out what that yeah, is. Yeah, exactly. he's very specific yeah. about that. Yeah, and, and, and they were the and they were the company that that have the first fuel cell and, and that they mm-hmm. have the first fuel cell car in the market apparently in, in California. But what I found uh, this is sort of a side thing, but I can't not comment on it because it was just so silly was the amount of hype for each car unveil. Mm-hmm. And it was just like like the Lord of the Rings music or the heavy guitar riffs, like I mentioned really early on. But by nine thirty, I heard I had heard more heavy guitar riffs than I ever needed an entire day or month even, mm. because it was just like every time they went a new car, it was like da na 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 na, and then like it'd be like it was really impressive the first time, but yeah. it was like every few minutes for like six hours. But, but, it was like there's only so many times you can like pull the same trick. I'm only impressed <laughs> like so many times with the same trick. Yeah, but and everyone thought it was recorded. But the, the, what I found so funny about it was that. It was like, here's this huge buildup to just another car. Mm. Like, nothing there they unleashed was like, whoa! That's something I've never seen before. Except the only the thing that was like, whoa, you can't buy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, what was that? There was this four... Actually, I'll make this the actual... You know, for the podcast, I'll make this actually the picture of... Right. I took a picture of it. Um, but it was this kind of really cool um, four-wheeled, but one wheel at the front, two wheels on the side, one wheel at the back. And it was a concept car, so you couldn't buy it. Apparently, this one didn't even actually work fully. Um, But there was no steering wheel. You had to stand up, and you sort of moved your arms left and right to sort of turn the car left and right. Mm. And it was even even they said it was sort of Segway like, but not similar technology, but not the same as a Segway. But that kind that idea, that kind of idea. Yeah, that was sort of made into like a kind of full size car. But standing, she was standing. Yeah, with an extremely attractive model on it, which was. Getting the most attention. But. Yeah. That was a different part of it. Um, so there was misogyny. Oh, well, dude, it's a car show. What do you, what do you expect here? Um, there was no... There was, that was funny. Actually, at lunch, at, at a committee side, lunch, uh, there was a woman near us who was like, look, I understand sex sells, but like women buy more cars than men, and I want some equal an opportunity eye candy. <laughs> that was pretty funny. I didn't hear that, actually. That's, that's a very good point. Yeah, I thought it was really funny. Um, but... Uh, no, I, I, no one was really excited by the cars. Like, no, like, the like here's was literally a car expo, and like there were some really cool cars. There, legitimately, there were some very, very cool cars. But the cars they revealed were all like the 2015 models, right? So and they were, they just looked like more cars. Like there was nothing about them that was like the 2015 model. Yeah, they release. It's a stupid car thing. You release the model. You, you sell the year after the on the year before. It doesn't make any sense. I don't know why someone hasn't decided to make 2018 models yet. Just call them whatever the fuck you feel like. Yeah, I don't know why. I should I should say though that uh, at it, two years ago when we were there we saw the the uh, concept car version of the BMW i8 mm. which was in uh, which was James Bond's car in one of the James Bond movies. Mm. Um, they did actually have the production model ready this year. It was supposed to be out last year. Uh, it, it was actually at this year. We have photos of it. Uh, it'll be with with the post somewhere. We'll, yeah, sure. we, I don't even know it'll be on this post, but like we'll they will be it. on the internet yeah. at some point when we get all that stuff online. Uh, it didn't look anything. Well, it sort of did, but. It was probably, like, the most innovative. And it really was just, it was like, I mean, we keep going back to the DeLorean. Like, mm-hmm. it was like, ooh, concept car, doors that go up. It's not a new thing. It's just, it's, and I think what I wanted to say with that was that it's like, that's how desperate people are for, like, something new about cars, mm-hmm. was that they keep putting concept models that are basically fancier versions of the DeLorean. Yeah. Because that's the only new thing you can do. Yeah. I mean, a lot of the new stuff that's actually happening is slightly more efficient. How much horsepower did we decide to put it in it? But, you know, and the technology gets a little better, so maybe they can get a little more horsepower out of a little less weight. Mm-hmm. 
Um, but it's it's infinitely recombining the same things. The biggest advances are in the computers that are in them. And then it's like, why don't we just have like a fucking microchip show? Like, who gives yeah. a shit about the <laughs> aluminum and steel casing? Yeah. Well, and I think and I think that that, that brings me to the other thing that I thought that I was more, that I was quite struck by was in the first conversation, the first talk. Mm. Uh, it was Chrysler, mm-hmm. not Chevrolet. Which I said at every interview I did yesterday. I said Chevrolet. I meant Chrysler. And out of politeness time. to them, not one of them corrected you. I know. I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what would have been nice. It would have thought, made myself look an idiot so much. But um, in their in their first talk, they had that guy up there mm. um, who said some things that I would never have expected a car com- a, a, a CEO of a massive of a he was the CEO. was he the president of all of the of, of Audi and Chrysler. Uh, not not Audi. I don't remember. It's a uh, no. Sorry, a Piet or some Fiat. Fiat. So Fiat and Chrysler. Chrysler and something is like Fiat Chrysler Motor or something mm. just merged. And he's I, I don't remember his actual title. His name's Sergio. I don't remember the last name, yeah. but his first name is Sergio. And he's this like apparently giant auto, the most you know sought after speaker is how yeah. he's being built. And I can see why. Oh yeah. Um, his speech. I'll just sort of do a little thing about that. As I was saying to other journalists that were there, because when they heard that we were sort of the token environmentalists, they're like, what did you think of his speech? And, you know, I'm not saying he didn't believe it, Mm -hmm. but I'm also not saying that he did. I'm just saying that from the words that he used and the way that he talked about it, Mm -hmm. he really hit all the right notes. He really, like, he said so many things that I was like, whoa, we're at a car show? Yeah. Like, it was... Uh, we're gonna we're again. This will we're not. This won't be on the podcast. We're going to be playing it because mm-hmm. like I was blown away by what he said. He said all the right things. He said them all the right way. He seemed to be sort of throwing a bit of a gauntlet down to the other companies, saying like we have to fundamentally change the way that we do business and what we're selling. And he seemed to be implying that we couldn't wait for consumer demand. Like he seemed to, it wasn't even like mm-hmm. it wasn't even the thing a few years ago when environment was actually like the theme of the show and everything was eco this and eco that which was not in a trace there this year at yeah. all all mention of the environment was erased from the auto show this year except um, for that talk uh yeah other than that talk but it's like it wasn't it wasn't even like oh you know because the talk even at the at the environmental auto show that was the one that was actually billed as the the big eco show then this mm-hmm. is the future of automobiles is the eco whatever no trace of it at all this year the the special event was all about uh, like self parking sensors and microchips yeah. <laughs> um well, he seemed to really be throwing the gauntlet down to say it wasn't the the language is always about we need you know customers want more fuel efficiency and more economic and more environmentally friendly no mention of it. But he was saying, no, we have to change as an industry. And he yeah. was not saying because this is what our customers want. He was like, no, 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 this, we, like, this is just what we need to do. Yeah. And, and it wasn't because that's what customers want. He was like, no, no, this is just what we need to do. Mm. There is no choice about it. This is what's happening. Mm. Yeah. And it, well, yeah. And, 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 yeah. And then he went as far as to say that we have to transfer off gasoline. Like, yes. That's an insane thing to say as a, as, as a, as a CEO. Which is why I was so frustrated that they jumped on him for something else. So we, we won't get into what they were going yeah. about. But there was just, there was no way to get access to this guy yeah. because the rest of the media was surrounding him about something another else. issue, yeah. which we won't get into. But I really wish I'd had an opportunity to talk to him. And we likely will never get another opportunity. Oh, yeah, but gone. there was just no way to, yeah. there's just no way to get at him. Yeah. But, uh, but no, but what I, what I found, what I was saying was getting to was, was after that. And after saying all those right things. The next part of the presentation was just, and look at all the cars we're selling, and all the cars everybody else is selling. Yeah. And look at this, like... Com- the same dude, you mean? No, well, it was in the same presentation. He switched over to... The, he handed the torch over to the... Uh, I think, actually, C- the, the actual CEO, operating offer. Yeah. The COO. Yeah, the actual of, of operating Canada, officer. But of Canada, though. Yes, of the Canada, Canadian. Of, of Canada Chrysler. Yeah. Um... And then, and then it's the same presentation, but, you know, different person. But it was a sort of, then it became this consumption orgy, basically. It was like, and it was just like, look at all the, all the cars we're selling. And like, it was like, immediately after this whole, like, we need to be more sustainable. To, it was just, it was just like. Well, we it, still have these cars to sell. Well, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. It was, but it was, it was specifically that he was like, he was bragging about how well they were doing. Yeah. And about how many cars they were selling. And, and not just, and Stephen pointed this out, he was, he didn't just say, like, that they were taking up market share. They were, t- they were bragging about how much the industry overall had recovered. Oh. Yeah. So it wasn't even just like the, we're selling more cars than you guys. Yeah. It was, look how many cars everybody's selling. We're back, baby. Yeah. Yeah. And very yeah. much. It was very much. Within seconds of this great <laughs> yeah. speech that was like 20 minutes long that, yeah. that, that sounded like it could have been a TED talk. Like yeah. it was really motivational. Right? Yeah. Yeah, and it was, and it was just sort of like, it was like, ah, oh, you guys are so close. So close. Like, it was yeah. like, because, because what, what, what it did, it was, it, it was basically like, 
All right, so you understand. It was like, okay, you understand the need for for this, but at the same time, it's just it's still same old, same old. You're still, you know, it's still the idea that a hundred percent consumption. Like no one has decided, and it will be interesting to see if car company ever goes this route. But no one has ever decided. I was talking actually very interesting. I think my mom about about something about similar this. I think it's I think it's very very interesting. Um, no one in the industry has decided that a paradigm shift is actually what is required and what will happen. Mm. Uh, uh, the reason I was talking to my mom about this was she was talking about, um, she's an educator, and she, was, she had been to a meeting where she was at, uh, talking about online courses, um, and she was at Pearson. You know, Pearson's the really big textbook fan place. And they had brought her in to see some stuff, and she sat there looking at it, and it was like, they, they had basically recreated their textbook online. Mm. And she was like, you, got, you guys don't get it. Like, this, there's, you need a paradigm shift in education. You can't be doing the exact same. The, the people who are falling behind because of this academic, in this, the way we do academic, academia now, won't be catching up by giving them the exact same thing but online. Mm. Like, you have to change the way you are thinking about education, basically. And, and a, an argument could be made that it's making it worse because there presumes that you have regular computer access to be using online things. Yeah, well, what, well yeah, but, and, and even just, and, and even just the idea that basically, like, if, like, if low income is yeah, the problem. Exactly, yeah, yeah. Right. But, or, but like, the, the, really, her point was, was that here was, like, the people who end up using these sort of extra tools, because often when teachers, you know, online ends up being like, if you're having problems, go, to, you know, try the online things. But by giving them the exact same thing they already had, there's a reason why they're doing, aren't doing well in school. They're not going to magically solve itself because it's online. And there was this whole subset of people who, and the people who ended up actually doing it, they did study. Like, who are the people who actually did this? And it was like people who wanted a get, who were going from a B or B plus to an A, or people who wouldn't go from A to an A plus. Those people who use this. And people who are getting C's and D's didn't use it because it, that, that, they didn't like the way they were done before. So they're not going to use something that's the exact same. Mm-hmm. And you see, and I, and I think in, I think I often go back to phone blocks. Uh, or phone block, the, the, the phone company, the phone idea that's coming out soon. Cause that, I think, is an example of a phone company or a company making, that is actually accepting the idea of a paradigm shift. Can you, um, I'm, I'm, even I'm not familiar with that. So phone, phone block is, the, it, their slogan is a phone worth keeping. And the basic idea is you, they give you the circuit board. And instead of, basically, it's, it's, the idea basically is instead of, along with having software apps, you have hardware apps. So you can, you basically, you plug into the back which different things you want. You want a faster processor? You have a processor chip. You pull it out, you put a new block in. It's all in blocks. Mm. And you can buy blocks from different companies for different things. You can have, you can replace blocks. Like if you want uh, like a bigger battery, but no, but no camera, you can just put that in. And then you can just, in like, you know, like, like I've mentioned like my phone is kind of shit. Um, but only because it's too slow. There's nothing else about this phone that, that, that is bad. If I you don't just, need a new phone, you just need a faster processor. Exactly. I need one little thing. And this is what PhoneBlock's doing. The idea is basically, let's create a... Mar- and like it's, it's sort of like apps for hardware. It's like, you want a new battery. Okay, just change the battery. Done. You want a new... Ca- you want a bigger camera. Okay, change that. You get something else. And it's just... It lets you... Cu- it makes your phone customizable. And make it lets you keep your phone. Which I think brings back the sentimentality of... I've always got the back. There's a sentimentality of keeping something for a long time. People um, used to have pride, or I mean, they still do, and if it, but it's just even rarer about the pride of I've had this phone for six years. Like people yeah, say that with pride. Yeah, exactly. And 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 this would bring that back to some extent, I think. And like it's even like you know people get rid of the phone because their screen breaks. You can just change the screen. Like it's this idea of you can actually keep a majority of the things. Which you with screens you can't do that now, but people don't. Yeah. Right. Um, it will get, it's not easy. It's not, you know, it's not a part of our system to do that. It's yeah. part, you know, it's, we, we, and I think, and so phone blocks has sort of accepted this in some sense. And cars, I think I'm waiting for a car manufacturer or a car company to consider this as an actual option, hmm. you know, uh, to actually be like, let's act, try to make cars that are the most easily repairable, the most durable, the most, you know, and forget about releasing every single dip new car every single year changed every single time into scrapping the old sentence going again and again and again. Let's just create a car that lasts. Mm. And like, you know, I'm, I'm not saying they don't. There's a lot of, actually it was interesting, one of the, one of the other interesting things uh, for us I'm talking right now at least at the show was, it was, the beginning was the idea of the, what called the black book. 
Mm, which yeah. was the mo- the car that maintained its value the long the longest. Yeah, we're not really car people, but uh, car people will be very familiar with black. Yeah, they're a bit of a Canadian institution, only which I know from having been to four consecutive <laughs> auto shows. Uh, but who monitor uh, for anyone else who mostly transports by bike uh, monitors yeah. depreciation on on vehicles and helps give an indication about. If you're buying a car as an investment, which it only is because of its monolithic upfront cost and inability to do what you're suggesting, uh, it, people require it's it's really the only thing besides like a house and a car are really the only things where you generally take depreciation into as being a strong component of your purchasing. Decision. Well, house usually appreciates. Well, no, but depreciation isn't like use. Like you have to upkeep uh, right, and yeah, those yeah, sorts yeah, of things. Yeah. That's depreciation, right? Yeah. right. right. And it, it can only appreciate in value if you maintain it, right? Right, and so that maintenance is the is a is right. a measure of its depreciation, right. uh, and and l- extremely large one time purchases where you need to maximize its value because of its incredibly high initial cost are things where depreciation plays a high role. And I mean, what this does is uh, that concept that you were proposing that apparently this phone company was doing, but I think you know could be taken to a larger extent would would sort of functionally limit that. I mean. To a large degree, because you could just change the thing that was broken, or yeah. you could change the thing you were dissatisfied with, which consequently, I mean, it's not, I'm not even saying it's an environmental thing to do, it just has to do with my preference, but that's why I still have a PC desktop computer in the age of portable laptops, uh, because I like doing that. It'd be like, oh, uh, you know, I was, you know, playing way too many video games for a while, so I bought this, like, super high-powered graphics processor, and now I'm not doing that as much anymore, I need more functionality and video stuff, so... I didn't go and buy a new graphics processor. I just now it now that it's out of date and sucks. I don't need to upgrade it. But now I'm upgrading my memory and storage, and and it's very easy. And I can personally do that. I can go and buy those components, and I know how to install them, and and that's something I like. And I wish I could do that to more things in my life. Yeah, I like that's something I actually enjoy about owning my computer is that I can do that. Yeah, it it, it, it has to do with the paradigm. It's it's. You know, can, as far as literally you want, what you want to blame for all, you know, oil companies or whatever you want to blame for, uh, for climate change and environmental degradation, consumption is the bottom line. There's nothing, consumption is everything. You know, overconsumption of resources is why we're in every single environmental problem. Huh? This, without question. I think an issue though is that. I was just going to say, this was a good place for David. <laughs> Go ahead. Disposability, disposability as we know it came about in like fifties and has continued until now as the sign of like economic prosperity. Like old people or like people in more elderly, elderly generation, they think of it as a, or at least in my experience, often think of disposability as a sign of affluence and mm-hmm. that like you should just be able to throw out things in malls and just chuck your garbage. Because we don't have to keep things durable anymore. This is the depression anymore. Like, we can just buy new shit. And that's how the economy works now. And that means that we're prosperous. So, I mean, you don't hear it as often anymore. But, I mean, everyone's probably heard at some point, you know, someone made some joke about, like, oh, I'm going to go fix this. And someone being like, what are we, in the third world? Just buy a new one. Exactly. Yeah. I've heard that. Yeah. I mean, that's a really offensive thing to say, but I've heard it. Yeah. And, yeah, exactly. I think that's the, that's the attitude a lot of people have. And it's like... um I think the paradigm shift you're talking about is one of our actual conception of what a prosperous economy is um, and how that fits into um, like how we value objects. Mm-hmm. But I mean, it was just when you guys are talking about thinking about myself personally as a consumer and I don't really think of myself as, as in the flux or flow of, of consumption um, at all in any, in, in any sense of having power like everything that I own essentially I was I get from other people pretty much <laughs> like except for like my bike your computer the computer yeah exactly but like in like there, there are very few things that I need to be purchasing so my existence as a consumer is essentially like I don't find myself a, just because I don't purchase things that doesn't for me that doesn't send a single message at all to the producers Right, like I'm sure there are tons of people like me who just don't really buy anything, and that just doesn't mean anything. That's just that's just that's just that's just someone off the that grid of consumption. So, well, you're still a unit though when it's you do the big division on mm. the economy, so that you're actually making the economy look like it's doing bad. <laughs> is how that works out, right? Because it's like, yeah. well, there's one more person, and their consumption is is mm-hmm. close to zero. 
So that sort of lowers the average, right? Mm. And so it, it, it makes it look more under that measuring system, like, mm. oh, the economy's bad. Yeah, but I feel as though my, that, that type of position in the consuming economy sends no message whatsoever to the producers to actually change what they're producing. It doesn't tell them, like, oh, we need to like, switch these things so these people actually buy them from us. It's just sort of a non-entity in the consumption um, process. So I think the onus would have to be more so on the producers to create things in a different way. Was I was going to say like I mean even this Christmas there was like, you're talking to people are saying oh the you know economy's terrible nobody sold anything this you know relative to previous Christmases this Christmas and I was like first fucking good <laughs> but second of all I was like I don't I wouldn't even assume that this is because you know it's always it, it it's just a de facto this is the only reason that's considered is therefore that's because people are scared like there's just a predefined way to read that information. Uh, you know, this says things about the economy, that because people, you know, people are concerned about their job. Well, maybe, but maybe fucking not. Maybe people are just finally getting the fucking message that it's stupid to buy shit constantly for no fucking reason. But it's, it's, I'm not saying that's everybody. I'm not even proposing that it's anyone's reason. But it's just like, but there's no other interpretation that's ever considered, right? No one like you is ever factored into that equation. They just read that as... You know, as people a don't have people, the money, otherwise they would be consuming. Yeah, so therefore we should change economic policy because you know clearly this means that X Y Z government policy is bad because that's you know making consumers not confident. There's so many assumption based on assumption based on assumption based on assumption that that's fed from that. And it's like you have no fucking idea why people aren't buying shit. Maybe you're right, but maybe you're completely fucking wrong. And the reason that matters is because major, major policy decisions and changes of the fates of governments are decided based on those assumptions because that's how they're broadcast to people. And most people read it as being correct. And then, you know, I mean, it's just a sea of endless assumptions. That, based on a fundamental generalization of the uh, desire. Yeah, the one country. with very, very tangible and real and immediate consequences mm. on, and when it's factored onto a large scale. I mean, yeah, as you're saying, you individually doesn't make a difference, but there's, you're not, you know, you're not the only you. Mm. And, and, but, and as a group, that it's functionally considered that way. So, yeah, I mean, it can have huge consequences for public policy and governments and all sorts of things. Like, I'll give a, I'll give a great example. It, it's not mine at all. I'm, I forget who I'm stealing it from, so I'll just sort of instead, in lieu, make clear that I did not come up with this. Um, but somebody in one of my classes, or one of the things we were studying in one of my environment classes, was that, you know, if there's a giant oil spill and you have to spend $300 million of public money on cleaning it up, that $300 million goes towards the GDP. It makes it look like your economy is doing well. So oil spills actually, as far as it's calculated, improve the economy. Yeah. Even though, like, there's massive devastation, that money could have been used or for the things, better things, using resources saved. to just clean up. Yeah, resources. using resources on shit makes the it gets counted in the good column, which is why, like, G GDP is a horrendous, horrendous way to calculate whether or not you have. You know, a, your your people are doing well. Mm. It's a horrifyingly bad. We're, we're, to some extent, I think to get back to sort of the idea between consumer v um, producer, we're in a bit of a catch twenty two. I think, and I think what's isn't that the large scale producers don't want to do anything different because what they're doing now is selling, and the and the other people don't really want know to, to do anything different anyways because they don't. Because they don't ha feel like they have any other options. Mm. Consumers don't feel like they have power, and and producers aren't going to put themselves out of business. Yeah, and and honestly, I think there's I I I think people often give producers a pass sometimes by saying market demand demands everything. But look look at food deserts in the United States, not like actual deserts, but like you know where you know the idea of food desert is where you can't get fresh produce in X matter, you know, like X distance around you. Mm. You know, and then that drives up. But there's a McDonald's around the corner. Yeah. You know, it's not like the people who live there aren't aren't saying I will only eat at McDonald's. They're saying, "What else do you fucking want me to do? I can't, I can't or, go or somewhere else." A tomato is three dollars, and you can get three hamburgers for three dollars. Yeah. What would you buy? Even I would buy the three hamburgers. I'm fucking hungry. <laughs> yeah, like there's only so many raw tomatoes you can eat. Yeah, like it's like it's I've tried. Yeah. Uh, the um, but yeah, like I think it's often you sort of end up like it's all consumer demand, but it's not. Like, consumer demand is important and has a lot of impacts, but producers or or, or even governments ha should have, have a requirement to ensure that people at least are given the opportunity of a choice. And when you don't do that, that's when that's when capitalism isn't really capitalism anymore. It's, you know, it's a monopoly or an oligopoly or whatever you want to do. Like, you know, like the same as Rogers and Bell in, in Canada. You know, it's... 
they own all the all the infrastructure, so you can't really do anything else. They've that, that the market and jacked up the price. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, yes. they're they're doing what the economics predicts you would do. Because economics assumes everyone's a sociopath, but then by calling it everyone economics, you're like, well, I have an excuse for being a sociopath, because if I don't, so will someone, someone else will. So it, it might, if someone's going to, it might as well be me. That's the, really yeah. the mentality. Yeah. And, 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 and I think that's a, that, I think that's the point when, you know, neither producers or consumers are really at fault. And it's, it's at that point, there has to, that's, that's, I think my fundamental belief of problem with libertarians. All victims of a mindless logic. Uh, no, no, well, a little bit, but like, like, I think the, the fundamental problem with libertarians is that there is this, these are some examples where the government needs to come in and say, no, like, let's save you both from yourselves, basically. Mm. I was actually, I was not really a joke, but I was sort of paying it as a joke, is like, what's the difference between a libertarian and an anarchist? PR. <laughs> <laughs> basically. Um, yeah, like, it's, 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 Sorry, internet. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, now, now this is over. It's, it's like our first. It's like our first other thing where we insulted libertarians and we lost. We've been we've years. been shit talking capitalism for an hour. We <laughs> take point. one stab at libertarians. Yeah, they they gave up on us a while ago. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> probably the first episode. Um, but yeah, it's it's. You're sort of painting though the producer consumer dynamic as a an automatic system. A tragedy of the commons. <laughs> well, not really. <laughs> no, exactly. A tragedy. No, a no. tragedy. <laughs> a, a, an automatic, mindless system that requires the um, interjection of a type of authoritative uh, outside body. Well, I'm just saying, like, well, to, some, to some extent, yeah, exactly what I'm saying. Because, like, well, especially when you come across consumers who don't think they have the power to do anything, and producers who don't think they have the power, someone has to have the power. The power can't exist nowhere. Well, and this, this is sort of where I get my thing about, like, you know, I'm not anti-business. I'm anti-multinational corporation. Uh, and the reason for that is that, yes, you know, it's, 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 I love the name of the documentary about Walmart, the high cost of low prices, because it, mm. it really, like, people are like, I want cheap shit! And then, but then, okay, if you want cheap shit and that's the only indication you're gonna give the market, then you don't really get to fucking complain about, oh, it's poor factory conditions, fuck you, you bought an iPhone, okay, <laughs> shut your mouth. Right? Like, you, you can't, you can't do that. The, the problem with corporations and why it's not like an anti-business and I'm not sort of that type of crazy hippie is that like the problem is now is that we have multinational corporations who are actively going out and eliminating the safeguards, right? Like we've let the snake out of the box and it's killed its handler and now it's just running around town biting people. And, you know, there has to be a, there has to be, mongoose. there has to be a mongoose, right? Like we need to have control. It's a system that by definition will cannibalize itself. It'll by definition cannibalize itself if it doesn't have limits. And it has been sort of untended for so long that it's eliminated most of its safeguards. And people have to wake the fuck up and go, yeah, you know what? It doesn't make me a crazy anarchist socialist. To think that we need that amoral giant corporations with infinite amounts of power and everybody in them is just a gear in the wheel and be like, hey, it's not my fault. I'm not evil. My job isn't doing anything. I'm just pressing the button. I'm just the guy that makes widget A. Okay, well, you know what? Widgets A through Z make a fucking death ray, and you're half you're responsible for part of it. But it's all the responsibility has been so spread out, and so the, the consequences of our actions are so taken away in that system. Where, well, what do you want me to do? I have a legal obligation to maximize profit for my shareholders. The guy that makes the widget, what do you want me to do? I need to be able to pay my family. Okay, that's why we all need to agree that we need to have a system that sits above that and says, no, I'm sorry, you don't get to do that. <laughs> And and right now the system has gotten so large and so powerful and grown so far beyond the boundaries of our ability to control it that it's actively now going doing its mindless business, mindless amoral business that of of the corporation and not its employees, but the entity that is the corporation, which is the sum of all those parts put together, is now actively going out and assassinating all of the controls we've laid out for it. And we we just have to understand we can't unfettered capitalism will be our undoing. There has to be limits because there are limits, and pretending there isn't is going to be our downfall. And by downfall, I mean we're going to be fucked. <laughs> um, all right, so we have we're, we're I'm looking for maybe seven more minutes of content, and then we'll, and then we'll uh, then we'll call this one. Uh, we sort of flew by actually; I was quite impressed. Mm -hmm. um, so everyone gets sort of a last last thought, and I'm going to give a thought of. Uh, I, I sort of feel uh, like, like that was my final thought. Uh, I just so I'm right, so you're done. You're done. Okay. All right. So Dave, you, what do you got? Um.
I can't help but think of uh, someone posted on Facebook Lord's acceptance speech for that song. Oh, that turned out to be we false. We don't want to be royal. That turned out to be a lie. Okay. Well, I read the thing. It was kind of dumb. Um, and but I think that's what a lot of people think. Mm. Like a lot, like that's and that's what a lot of people who hate um, anti-consumerists think that they think. Mm. Um, that there's just some sort of international elite, um, infinitely rich people um, who literally want to be the overlords of the world with their um, huge uh, corporations and corporate wealth. Um, and it's that kind of thinking that, that incapacitates the true freedom that individuals have, that everything is just out of their hands, mm. um, that the system is not something they participate directly in. It's an abdication of responsibility. <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, I don't think this, the, like, you can talk about the solution as being to check capitalism, but it's just, like, temporary. To think of that, to think that capitalism is going to continue just more and more regulated, it, it inevitably has to dissolve into something that's more um, collectively put together. No, I, 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 need, I need to jump in back just on that one point, because I, th- there is a tangible, very specific spot where we went wrong. And we can correct that one mistake and, re- and, re- and relieve a lot of sanity to the system. And, and I was watching recently on the Young Turks. Uh, they were showing, and they talk about it all the time, but it's Glass-Steagall. When corporations started being able to influence politics, mm. when they got started to be being allowed to legally be treated as the corporation itself as a person, that's the fork in the road. When you look at any history of economics, when you look at income disparity, when you look at the like wholesale trashing of the environment, it, it's always been there, but it exploded. The second, and you can see these graph after graph after graph, everything that you measure, right around that time, I forget, I forget the year, uh, but I think it was 78 or something like that. Every single graph, like, explodes there. Income inequality was, was consistent for, since the beginning of recording until literally, like, the year after that law changed, and that's when we started having boom, like, they just, it's shocking to see how fast they separate the difference between the rich and the poor. Those are the types of limits. We're not talking about you know, hyper-regulating all these specific things. Like, no, there's a couple of very specific things that happened that have led to this absolute annihilation of any limits being controlled, that it gave them the power to remove their the controls on themselves. Mm-hmm. And those are very specific things, and we can put those things back mm-hmm. in place, and that will solve many of the problems. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I just needed to put that in there, that I think there are very specific things that where we went wrong, and I think those very specific things can be addressed. Mm-hmm. That's all. I just I just wanted to make that one point. Yeah, that's fine. Do you got anything else? Um, I'm, just, I'm just saying, any, I think any fix of capitalism is at least um, temporary in terms of the next, like, 200 years. Maybe you can run it for a little while, but there will never be have to be some system that replaces it. Interesting. I think that Dave takes a... Uh, Dave takes a turn to the left. <laughs> um... Weird, if you and I don't actually. I don't mean this. I don't mean this as a gotcha. I'm actually curious. Do you do you have a thought as to what that might be, or are you, or are you just saying that this system is inherently not going to, and infinitely is going to sustain us, and that we will have to develop an alternative? Those things aren't mutually exclusive, though. Touche. I'll take that as an answer. <laughs> no, that's that I'm satisfied with that. Um. Okay. Do you have anything else? No. All right. Uh, I'm going to come in and I'm going to jump in on two quick thoughts. Uh, one is I'm going I'm to sort of brighten this up and give what I think will be is the solution, of a partial solution to the producer-consumer complex. And also, what's interesting, I think, quickly outside, what you guys are talking about, is the idea that capitalism as it stands now, in which growth is the only continuation possible, is obviously unsustainable. The idea, unlimited growth is unsustainable. There's, there's absolutely no question of that fact. Uh, it's a logical truth, basically. Um... So whether or not it's a, a, a no growth capitalism is what ends up hap, ends up ends up being the solution that we're looking for, um, zero zero growth capitalism, uh, which you know there are many books and theories about about it out there, uh, and whether or not you want to call that as what you know Dave's visions as, as the next thing, or if it is in fact you know what Darren mentions as the as um, as the you know solu- you know within capitalism solution. Um, 
but uh, more immediately, I want to get back to like immediately what I think that really what the next couple things and what I, what I'm actually seeing right now and I would what I, I've harbored this a bunch. I'm gonna I won't take too long on it because it's something I think about and talk about a lot. But I think it comes down to individuals, and I think it comes down to localization. I think that's the solution. A big part of the solution we'll see to this uh, producer consumer problem is localization. And I mean, but I mean, you know, the more you buy from someone you know or someone close to you or your or your town, the better it's going to be, almost guaranteed. Like you know, there'll be less emissions. There's going to be it's going to be better for you probably because didn't have didn't have to didn't have to keep it for as long. It'll probably last better because you know exactly the person who made it. You can go back to them and be like, all right, what's this, what's this about? Like the more and more and more that you can keep things localized. The better, it, you know, it keeps you know. It's been shown that if if you spend money on something in a in a in a in a business, a small business in your area, that money goes immediately back into the economy, and that helps your area, and it brings a quality to the system. And so I think things like you know I mentioned on the radio show this morning, uh, but things like, uh, like the tool library or or you know or divest or, or diverse power grids. Um, and and food sharing systems are are really where I think you can get out of this system in many ways because you know what like everyone doesn't need a power tool everyone doesn't need a drill a community needs a drill but everyone doesn't need a drill and there are people in the, if one person in the entire community knows how to fix that drill then you have like that drill for way longer you know like I think I think the harnessing the power of community really is what can get us out of a lot of these problems. You know, if if I needed a car, zip cars are another great example of this. You know, who who needs who needs their own personal car if they you know if they can just get the car when they need it. You know, if you if if, I, if you can commute to work and back on public transit or anything else or walking or biking or whatever, and then you can get a car that's down the street and drive it for the couple times you need a car, bam! You know, thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of less cars are now needed on the road. Everything's better. Like there's just all of these systems which are localized, working on a commute with community that I, that gets you out of this sort of system of consumerization, top down. Everyone needs their own thing. Sort of stay off my land kind of reaction. And I think that's that's what needs to be seen. And I think that's we're seeing examples of it here in Toronto. And I would kind of love to go see. And I I've read uh, in the leap of Chris Turner's book. There's a whole bit about a town in Germany that does a ton of this sort of stuff. And they're and they're like. They're like, you know, so far better at us than at, on this in every in every way than than we are now. But I think this is, if if we are to be saved, I think localized localism and coming back to sort of a, you know, made in you know you know like made in Canada kind of made in Toronto sort of you know revaluing that again is is going to be a big part of it. Um, so that's our thoughts on this one. I don't know if there's any real takeaway, but uh, I hope you enjoy it. This is LCD Sound System with something great uh, to play us out.